one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. Ooh. And now. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 105 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Yes. 105 is like one of my favorite numbers. Is it? You say that every time. I think I do say that every time. But, I think but why would 105 be your favorite? It sounds cool. Right? 105. Really? 05, 105. I don't know. It sounds pretty cool. I, I mean, 007 would sound really good. I don't know about 105. 105 mm. sounds like kind of like an old man. Oh, what are you trying to say? 105. Ah. <laughs> anyway, so how are you doing, Chris? It feels like I haven't seen you. I know I've been living here in the same house as you, but you've been so busy lately. So how are things? Well, I had to go back to work this week. I've been on vacation the week prior. So vacation Chris was in the house. Now vacation Chris is no more. Well, actually, Vacation Chris is going to be coming back after this coming week. You're on vacation again. You know what's funny? I was telling some of the guys at work about that. How I was just on vacation. How was vacation? It was great. Just basically moved stuff around the house and started working around the house. Like I didn't physically actually go anywhere. Wait, you did not work around the house. Yes, I Let's did. be clear. You got your computer set up. That's work. And you said, I'm going to get this whole garage organized. Oh, did yeah. you unpack a single box? Uh, a couple Negative. things. A couple things. Negative. I think I did a few things. So nope. I did work and get the TV set up and the computer room set up and this whole podcasting room set up. And Christine happens to be sitting on right now. Ezekiel's brand new bed, which is a queen size futon. It couch. is a fancy futon, not a regular futon. It's like the fancy high dollar premium oak something yeah wood. it's amish made here in the united states and it's really sturdy and we decided that you know we splurged on new furniture for the other two boys and we needed to make sure that we also got a really nice bed for ezekiel but you know he's almost 17 and he is you know getting bigger and taller and he had a little full-size bed in the old house and so we wanted him to have something that could be like a cool teenager hangout where it could be like a a couch in case he has friends over, but then, you know, converts into a bed easily and just keeps, you know, conserving space in the room, right? It is wonderful. And it's, a, it's bigger than I thought it would be. It's it's pretty good size. It's like a big, giant couch. It's not it, big, giant. It's in like this room here. Long. And Christine's on the couch. So Christine's on the couch. So if you want to be a guest, you can have a guest sit on this side of the couch. You guys can do like a podcasting from the couch. How we that? could. It would be like couch coffee talk. There you go. <laughs> did you ever watch Saturday Night Live when they did Coffee Talk? Uh, no, that was from, that from New York. No, that's the ladies on there. They were like, it's Coffee Talk time. <laughs> I don't know. It was so funny. But so, anyways, we can have our Coffee Talk couch. Yeah, maybe drink coffee here. I've done that a few times. So we, uh, let's see, this week and we're back to work, obviously. So that was rough. But I did tell the guys at work, I'm going on vacation again. And they were like, what? 
How many vacations you got a year? I think I'm taking, I kid you not, this year it's going to be like the most vacations I've ever taken in my entire life. Is it five weeks? I think I'm taking like seven or eight if you add it all up. What? That's crazy. I know. I mean, seven weeks. I don't know. It's, 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 I've never, I was telling somebody, I was like, the last time I took this much vacation was like, I was unemployed. <laughs> well, the perks of having a full-time job. So uh, how was it being back at work? You know, it's always rough when you go back to work. I mean, but you're not training your new guy. So did you actually get to listen know, to your podcasts? Of course I did. Of course I did. But also, speaking on the new guy, I, I, I run into him my first day back to work. I uh-huh. said, hey, how's it going? How you doing? You all on your own? How's everything going fine? Don't Please don't tell me you screwed up. Please tell me you didn't screw up. Because that would be like, reflect on me. Yeah. Because I trained him. Um, he had one screw up. Oh, no. Uh, you know, the trucks do have drive cam systems yeah. in the truck. And they uh, record you know, your mistakes, if it hits a bump or triggers it in a shock pattern, mm-hmm. like it hit the brakes too hard or something like that, it'll kind of jiggle it and make it go off and you can record. He said he did have a clip that got recorded. He said he, uh, it was a situation where a, a light or something happened too fast and he slammed the brakes and, oh. and it triggered the uh, camera. But- well, you know, I think that's kind of, it's kind of difficult because you're trying to be super cautious because basically you're driving, well, you are driving a big tanker full of gasoline and it's like you don't want to run a light. And so if it switches quickly and you're not going super, super slow, you're going to have to like pump on the brakes. And that's just difficult. It's like be an absolutely perfect driver without slamming on the brakes even once. I would fail that like first 10 seconds. Well, that's why you're not me, baby. <laughs> you're right. I am not you. You are one of a kind. Thank you. So oh. how has your week been? I know you've been doing busy, busy be with the weddings and stuff. I have been. So my regular full-time job was in high gear this past week. I was put as project lead on a really big project with a multi-million dollar grant. It was very last minute that we so found out. So they gave out. you a multi-million dollars? That, yeah, $2.4 million to figure out how to appropriately budget. And so I had to meet with all the teams and develop priorities and um, multi-year projection of five years. And it was a lot to do in a lot of late nights. So there were nights when I was, you know, up early, um, starting work at 730. And then, you know, I'd work straight through. I forgot to eat lunch most days. And then I'd take a quick break for dinner. And then I'd get back to the computer and you know, working until one or two in the morning a couple of nights to be able to get this done because it was a really short notice from the State Department of Ed. And that meant that we had to have a really quick turnaround. Um, But then I had yesterday a really big event, one that I've really been looking forward to. I mean, I look forward to all of mine, but this one, it was for a friend that actually we became friends through our re- our wedding back in last November because they own the company where we rented our farm tables from. Oh, right. That was that stuff looked nice, by the way. It was beautiful. And they hand make all of this um, furniture. This, I mean, it's so gorgeous. It's farm and field events here in San Diego County. And the couple, Aaron and Chris, were renewing their wedding vows because they never had uh, like a full wedding ceremony. They had a civil ceremony before when they got married back in, um, I think like 2015, 16. And so they wanted to have a full wedding and they have this beautiful property up in the hills. And oh gosh, it was so gorgeous. And it was lots of late nights prepping for it, but it was a labor of love because I worked really tirelessly alongside the couple. They put in so much work yesterday. And it was spectacular. It was like 
They had a beautiful ceremony out in an open field that they own with a huge arch and these beautiful wooden benches that they created right before sunset. And then we'd set up like a 40-foot long, single, super long table. And they hung these really beautiful um, woven chandeliers and string lights. And then they're not big dancers. And so so instead of having um, dancing, they hired a live band. It's um, called Cashed Out. It's a Johnny Cash kind of... Cashed Out? Cashed like Johnny Cash. So it's um, Cashed, C-A-S-H-D, Out, Cashed Out Band. Oh, nice. And they are um, Johnny Cash style. And they play all of his music and it was all live so they had they have a bassist they had a guitarist with the keyboard a drummer a male lead singer who looked very similar to johnny cash and then they had a oh, female you, got, you gotta do that oh, you gotta yeah. make it look like it right yeah and they had like a full sound team and they had like their manager and their photographer their merch people there was like i don't know 15 people there but chris and aaron the um couple that got married they have, because they own this rental company with all of this great stuff, they had this amazing lounge set up outdoors under these market lights with fire pits and s'mores. And I mean, Ooh, it you, had was, me, you had me at s'mores, by I, the way. But I will tell you, it was so lovely. They just had like their family and friends and it was such a cool vibe out there just out under the stars. And it was so beautiful. And I, w- I felt so lucky to be able to be part of it because, you know, they work in the wedding business and they're a pretty big deal down here in the San Diego wedding scene. And they picked me to be their coordinator and their florist. Well, and look at you, hot stuff. I know. And I just felt so honored. I feel like I get to, I get the best job. I mean, my full-time job, I love it. I do a really good job at it. And then my side hustle, it's like, I get to be part of people's love stories, like the best day of their lives. I get to be there and witness it and make it come to fruition. Like, who wouldn't want that job? Uh, that sounds wonderful. You are living the high life, babe. Oh, I'm so, and, and by the way, I'm so proud of you. I'm very proud of you. I really appreciate that. And that means the world to me because I try to not have an impact on our family life here. But I know I'm gone a couple Saturdays here and there. But I really do love putting my heart and soul into these types of things because it's just truly special. And I love sharing the photos with you afterwards and I appreciate your support. And I also love all the, all the excitement everybody has when they see your work and they post it all over social media I know, and they tag you in all the posts and say, Christine Smith designs did all this. And then yesterday you said you passed out like 10 business cards out to people that were there, but they approached me. Yeah. I'm never one that's like, Oh, take my card. It's people will be like, Oh, how do I find you? Like there was so many people taking photos and videos of my work and they were like, um, how do I how do we tag you? And so I pulled out my business cards because you had me get these super cute business cards made, which are adorable. Yes, they are. And um what was so funny, I had to tell I have to tell you this because it was multiple people did this because at the on the back side of my card at the top in big print it says Dr. Christine Smith. And so people would look at my logo and then they'd flip it over to find my Instagram and they went, Doctor you're a doctor? And I was like, yes. And they're like, well, what kind? An MD? And I said, no, not that kind of doctor. But and then I explain. They're like, that is amazing. Like you have your doctorate and you do this job. And I was like, yeah, that's how it helps me be so good at it because I can understand like 
organization and strategy and stuff. Why are you crying right now? <laughs> That's like, so beautiful. I know. You're such, you know what? If you are such a doll, I love it that you're like, you always tear up when I have successes. I know. I, I tear up when I have successes too. Yeah, Although I haven't had that many in a while. Well, but, you've uh, had a lot of successes. Uh, uh, did Speaking of which, did you cry on our wedding day? Of course I did, babe. I don't know. I can't remember. Did you cry? Every man, every man cries after their wedding day. Yeah. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're babe. such a brat. No, did you cry when I walked down the aisle? Of course I did, babe. Of course I did. You didn't see me crying? I don't remember. I was very like, I was like, it's allergies. Yeah. <laughs> allergies outside, you know, allergy season. Your eyes were sweating. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, yep. No, what, what totally. made you cry? Because I, I always want to hear from the guys. Like, why was it you, know, you cried? Me, you know me. I get very sensitive when it comes to stuff like that. You know, I mean, guys, I cry in movies for God's sakes. What? But don't downplay it. Like, what was the feeling behind? Like, what is it for a guy when you see the woman you love walking down the aisle? What is it that, like, comes to your heart? I think what it is, it's like, first thing I see you and I'm like, wow, she looks so beautiful. She's Aww. all dolled up. This is what she's looks. This is this is everything she pictured. This is her wedding dress. What she looks like. I don't know what you look like. Right. P- prior to anything happening. In fact, I don't like even talk to you. Did I talk to you? I yeah, I- we talked on the phone. Oh, maybe we did. Okay. But usually, sometimes you don't. Bride and groom right. will keep it completely separate, like 100%. Yeah. And then they see him come down. And it's it's a very like, wow, I'm sitting there nervous and waiting for you to come down. And I see you walking and, and everyone's like glued on you and your eyes are on you. And you look so beautiful Aww. and radiant. And you're smiling and you have this look in your eye and it's very sparkly. And, and you just kind of like float down the aisle and you come to me and then I'm like... Yeah, I got it from here. And then, I, <laughs> and then I take her from your dad. Yeah. And then we stand there and do our thing. And the entire time the, the pastor's talking, I am don't hear a word he's saying because I'm looking and I'm focused on you the entire time. Oh, that is so sweet. And, you know, it seems like it was just yesterday that we got married. But can you believe we're only two weeks away from our first anniversary? <gasps> Hey, check that out. One year already. I know. Time flies. You're having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Barely. So, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, we've come so far, and I'm just so excited to see the life that we've already started to build. And, um, you know, we had a little visitor that wanted to come onto our show who's been missing us, who hasn't been able to be at the new house. And I think that we were going to hear from him, right? Yeah, I got him on the phone. Here he is, Ezekiel. And we have a very special guest that dropped by the studio today, none other than Ezekiel. Hey, Zeke, how's it going? Good. Gosh, we missed you, buddy. Yeah. How long has it been since we've seen you? Uh, For Chris, it sounds like eternity since it sounds like he's going crazy sometimes. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second, I'm going crazy? Yeah, well, but mom just came down last week and to come see me play in a tournament. Oh, what kind of tournament? Water polo. Ooh, okay. So tell us about water polo because we talked about you joining the water polo team last week and people are wondering how's it going for you? It's It was a good season. I oh. mean, there was some stuff that was good, some stuff that was bad. I got my first varsity water polo goal. No way. Seriously? Really? Against my dad's high school. What? Your dad's in high school? He is? No. I had no idea. The high school that he works for. So oh. he works for a school. Oh, so was he was he wearing the other jersey for the other team the day you No, were- actually he was wearing a shirt because it's kinda like the uniform. Oh, got it. But so you scored a goal. Um, tell us about what that means. Like water like just polo. Like soccer, you know how you just score a goal? It's like that. But you guys want to hear how it went down? Sure. Yes. 
So I was driving down to the goal. Like in a car? Joe. You were driving? What car were you driving? Uh, I was driving a Mustang. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was driving down to the goal. And then my friend Joey was, uh, fouled. Uh, draw, draw the foul. And then after draw, it draw the foul, uh, I he passed me the ball. And I just shot it like I was a quarterback. What? You shot like a quarterback? Yeah. That's and amazing. And it just went through. And then I and I yelled at my dad fifty dollars. No <laughs> way! Because my dad made a joke where he's like, "Yo, you score every goal you score fifty dollars, just like that." Ooh, money in the bank. There you yeah, go, but buddy. everyone liked at him, and everybody now calls me Money Man. Everyone calls you Money Man. That's you, should, you should get that in your jersey, back your jersey, Money okay. Man. Money Man. Uh, you mean back in my cap? Oh, I'm sorry, you don't wear jersey. Wear caps. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we call you Money Man Zeke from now on? No, you could call me ASAP Rocky. <laughs> that makes no sense at all, but okay. Because I'm like a rapper, but it was good. I bet it also, it's been also hard on practice sometimes. Our main coach just got fired. What? No way. Is it like the NFL where they like didn't get enough wins, so he they was, just canned him? Yeah, I think so. No, there were some complaints going on and he didn't fix them. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Like, like losses, maybe? No, it was like complaints about some problems going wrong. Oh, wow. Was that he, sounds was like he, a lot. Was he deflating the balls like uh, Tom Brady? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would make it easier to shoot with, huh? No, it, was a little it wouldn't. And it, it probably, if they re-grip the ball, then yeah. But I actually, for the first time, for like our game where we were playing against, I think Clovis East, we I worked the flags in the booth. Oh, what does like, that mean, working the flags? Like, if you get ejected, you got to give out a flag and telling them, all right, you're good to go for one team. But if you pull out a red flag, that's three ejections and oh. you're out. Is it kind of like uh, soccer and hockey probably? Like red right? cards and stuff? Yeah, red cards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. So you like doing the water polo. So your season ended. So are you still doing it in the off season or is it like you do right now? Off season, I'm like some players. I'm just resting and working out. I'm, mo- I'm Surprisingly, I'm not doing any water polo workouts. Oh, but I thought I'm that you're going to join club water polo. I am, but right now I'm doing some football workouts just for fun. Oh, fun. And then are you going to do any other sports at your high school this year? No, just, oh, swim. Ooh, what kind of swimming? 50, free. Wow. You are so long and tall that I think you're going to be an excellent freestyle swimmer. Mm-hmm. Everybody also called me. They also call me a couple names. They call me Speedy Gonzalez because <laughs> I'm fast and Mexican. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, there you true. go. There you go. And they also call me Money Man because of the joke of my dad. But the season went good. Uh, there were some good things. Uh, I met some couple new friends. I met a friend that's actually was in the middle of training to be a Marine. Whoa, that's amazing. And are they going to be like one that has to do water stuff? So that's why they did water polo? He has to do two years of water polo. Oh. Yeah. He has to do two years of water polo. Then after those two years, he could go and get training with full uh, guns and stuff. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, hey, Zeke, uh, I have a question for you. Yeah. So you have since you've been in water polo, you haven't been able to come down to the new house. Then you are coming down for the first time this coming weekend mm-hmm. to your new bedroom, the new home. What are you most looking forward to about our new house? Uh, 
on nights that we don't have anything, me, Jacob, and Mason are going to be coaching our new basketball team on the Xbox that oh. we all drafted. So oh. fun. And also opening up baseball packs. Oh, oh yeah, because you love baseball cards. Well, uh, we are so excited that you're going to be coming down here this weekend. Chris even set up the basketball hoop for you. And oh, and I got a brand new net, too. Yeah, he got a new net. What was funny is that yesterday I got a brand new basketball, an NBA regulation basketball, and guess what? I lost it over the fence <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I just bought you it. You need me to go claim over it and get it Well, for you? the neighbor has been nice enough to toss it back over, but they haven't tossed it over yet. So. <laughs> We're going to have to go knock on their door. But um, but there's the basketball hoop that's set up, and then we have the the outdoor hot tub that you guys can hang out in and yeah we're just really my my jammers yeah we're just really excited for you to come home with us and to get all cozy in your new bedroom and we've missed you so much yeah and a little teaser the gym boy show might be coming back Ooh, Ooh, how exciting i can't wait (laughs) yeah and we might have a special guest Ooh. That's exciting. Well, folks, stay tuned. We know that you've been missing out on the Gem Boys show. And Zeke, thanks so much for stopping by the studio today. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love hearing his voice. That just makes me so happy. I know. Zeke, you got to come in. That was done via clean feed on the iPhone. iPhone, you can do clean feed also. Yeah, it sounded really good on the audio. I know it was kind of like a quick thing. He FaceTimed us and then he was like, don't forget to talk about my water polo. And then what did you say? I said, we'll just call in. We'll just talk yeah. about it right now. You can talk about it. That so. was so fun. And I love including our kids in our podcast. And, uh, you know, as we were talking right before Zeke came on about building our life together, one of the things that I've been super proud about for us is how we've been just really trying to focus on like our long-term planning, trying to be financially um, stable and independent and, you know, not relying on credit and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, we've been working really hard. You've been getting out of some, not out of debt because you weren't, you didn't really have debt, but you've been paying off some pretty significant stuff lately, huh? Well, I know. I paid the car. The Z's been just paid that off. I just paid off all of my credit cards. Um, I don't think I owe anything. The only thing I, I owe on is my new truck, Yeah. Um, which is an extremely low interest rate. Yeah. In fact, it doesn't really have one. So, so how does it feel to have that financial flexibility? Oh, it feels amazing. So you see your paycheck and you realize it's not all going to be like, you know, it's got to go to this bill or to that bill or to this payment or that payment. You just kind of see it. And then you're like, what do I want to use this for? Yeah. You know, know, having that kind of financial flexibility is something that is really important to a lot of people. And we have a guest that's going to be coming on the show today who's going to be talking a bit about his own journey from... Uh, you know, financial chaos to financial freedom. And he's a fantastic, very, I don't know, energetic. What's the word that we would call him? Motivational. Yes, motivational. He's a motivational speaker also. So that could be part of it. Definitely. And we are going to hear from him right after this. Hey, thank you so much for being a loyal listener of The Chris and Christine Show. And as that you are a loyal listener, we have a very fun opportunity for you to get involved with the show. Ooh, tell me more. If you like to get exclusive content you can't get anywhere else and to receive free merchandise shipped to you every single month. Ooh, I want that. Then head over to patreon.com slash The Chris and Christine Show. That is patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. And 
Welcome back, everybody. We are super excited to have today's guest with you. He is an author and a personal development rock star. Welcome to the show, Robert Riopel. Oh, man, I am so ready to have fun with you, too, because I've been looking forward to this. So thanks for having me on your show. Oh, we're so excited. Thanks for being here. Yeah. So how can I be of assistance? Let's have some fun. Well, hey, Robert, first off, thank you so much for making the trek all the way out here today. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where in the world are you joining us from today? Because I heard a little bit of uh, an accent when you said show. (laughs) Well, yeah, see, because I'm Canadian, I think you have the accent, (gasps) but I am from central Alberta in Canada. And is that where you're located right now? It is. Wow. So this is an international interview. That's amazing. We love it when we have people from all over the world joining us. So first of all, how did you find us? You know, through um, a great program called Podmatch, I've been loving where being able to find shows by um, hosts that are looking for guests and I'm a guest. So Podmatch has set me up and been having a lot of fun with it. Is it kind of like dating? I would say like, it's uh, like match.com, like match.com maybe it is. Yeah. Something like that, but I don't know about that stuff because I've never had to worry about it. (laughs) I don't know about the swipe left, swipe right stuff. That's all foreign to me. Oh, wow. So um, are you, do you have a partner currently? Yeah. You know, um, my wife and I are very blessed that uh, we just celebrated 32 years of marriage in June and uh, she is the love of my life. Met at 13, started dating at 16 and got married at 19. Wait a second. Married what time? Married when? You, yeah, we, we were 19, but actually I had turned 20, 12 days before our wedding. So I am the older guy, just oh, so you know. But you met at 13. How did you meet? We did. Um, we're in, in Canada. We have something called the cadet organization where it's where um, just like the younger version of the Navy or the Army or the Air Force. And we were both in cadets together. And my wife, actually, she noticed me. I knew her, but I didn't notice her, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and for two years, she tried to get my attention. But like most guys, or I, I'm only going to speak for me, I was very clueless, especially as a young man. Really? I didn't... Speak, speak yeah, I know. Yeah, we're all like that. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know she was interested in me. And then one day, she finally got had enough. We were playing touch football um, while we were doing some volunteer work on a weekend. And she's like, she saw me flirting with another girl. And she's oh, like, you know what? Oh. That's enough. She goes, I'm going to tackle his ass to the ground. He's going <laughs> to notice me one way or the other. And so I'm going for a touchdown. And all of a sudden I do, I get tackled from behind. I'm upset. I'm like, who in the heck tackled me? This is touch football. Until I turned around and saw it was a girl. And instantly I was smitten. I was like, I think in my mind, it was like, oh. If this girl can tackle me, she's got to be amazing. You know, a bit of an ego back then, especially. So it's like love at first fight? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But hey, Robert, you weren't embarrassed by a girl tackling you, though, in front of your guys? You're like, oh. You know what? Uh, you know she got me on my bad day or something, or trying to shake it off like it was no big deal. Yeah, I was. I instantly. I, it really, it was. It was like I was just starry eyed, and my mouth must have dropped open. And like seeing her for the first time, I think is the best way to explain it. And the next day, when we were back volunteering, you know, I got up the courage to ask her to be my girlfriend, and what? she said yes. And uh, you know, ever since then, we've been together. Oh my gosh, I love this story so much. I know. Is this a Hallmark movie or I what? I know. It totally is. It's like the storyline, except if it was a Hallmark movie, you guys would have to be like separated for like, 
if you went to the military, separated for years overseas, and then reunited. <laughs> you write letters. Yes. And, and, you, and you sign it off with some cute little message at the bottom. Every, yeah, every definitely. Like, um, until, <laughs> yeah. until the next tackle. <laughs> so I, I guess it won't be Hallmark because we've always worked together. Oh. And, <laughs> and it's just, except for the last few years with me starting to travel more around the world, uh, my wife used to travel with me almost all the time. But then um, as I started going worldwide instead of just more North America, mm-hmm. she started not doing as many trips with me. Got it. Now, Chris and I, I don't know if you know this, we are newlyweds, newlyweds-ish. We're coming up on our first anniversary here in just a couple of weeks. Oh, and congratulations. So, well, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. And I would, uh, Chris always likes to point out that I made the first move. Yep. yep. So well, it sounds so, like your so, wife and yeah. I are very similar. <laughs> But what is your advice to us as newlyweds about how to stay strong and keep the marriage together, especially as we are business partners in the podcast? We'd love your advice. Yeah, a couple things. First of all, you know, Chris, to you, two most important words in a relationship that I found are yes, dear. Oh, I thought I always thought it was I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it, but in more serious, you know, I, I'm going to go to a Facebook post that I saw that really resonated so much. And it was a grandmother and a granddaughter sitting on the front porch of their house and they're rocking. And, and the granddaughter asked the grandmother, said, Grandma, how's it you and Grandpa have stayed together for so long? And the grandmother responds, she said, Dear, it, when we grew up, if something was broke, you fixed it. Mm, and point. You know, there's so many, unfortunately, it's just my belief that too many people walk away too quickly, you know, because I'm going to tell you, a great relationship has its ups, it has its downs, it has its great days, it has its, you know, drag out, knock down fights. And it's whether you decide to quit or, you know, find that common ground and come back together. That's the kind of key is the way I look at it. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. And, you know, it's something that we are seeing more and more marriages break apart, especially amidst COVID, things that you know, maybe you didn't realize how fragile the relationships were. You know, so many people are splitting up. And that's one thing that, you know, Chris and I in this first year, your first year is always a little bit difficult. But, you know, I think that that's one thing that we have in common is we're fighters, not against each other, but fighters Sometimes, <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> fighters for the relationship. Like we're willing yeah. to, to put in the hard work. And I think that work ethic has a big piece to play in a successful marriage. Well, yeah, and some relationships, if you think about it, they just don't know how to handle being together all the time. So when COVID hit, all some people went from having almost like their separate lives at work or with friends and that and seeing each other at night to all of a sudden being together 24-7, you know, especially during the first lockdown. And for me and my wife, that was bliss because here it is, I'm now home. And, you know, even though I would take six months a year off, even with all the traveling I was doing... I still was away from home for two, three weeks at a time overseas doing trainings. And so being able to, when we came back together because of COVID, one of the biggest blessings was moving to the next phase of our life where we had a dream of building a training center on our property so I could spend even more time at home. And that's now a reality. Oh, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about that, uh, about your actual, when you say you're traveling overseas and you had your business. So can we talk a little bit about that? When did that start and what is that about? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, growing up, told and taught. And here in Alberta, we have oil. And when oil prices are well, our economy, economy booms. But when oil prices are down, it's, it's a tough economy. And so growing up, I was taught no matter what the job is, you do it. Even if you hate it, you support your family. You stick with it. 
and I'm working and working and, and three different companies lay me off and I start delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza because it's the only job I could find. And I didn't consider it a real job. It was like, I'll do this until I find that you real know the, job. The, there's a pizza guy right now listening to this and he's saying, like, how dare you say that? <laughs> well, but I'll tell you, it, the first thing that happened is because at 21, I was the old guy working oh, as a right. delivery driver because all the other guys were 17, 18. And so because I was wanting to make an income, I could always convince one of them to let me do their closing shift and I'd switch off which got me then because of my work ethic into being a manager at which point out of necessity you know i I, we move to another city and i go up early while my wife is finding you know helping pack up um, our basement suite and and we had she'd come up on the weekends and try to find a place to live and then i'm working i'm learning how to be a manager because my franchisee literally when he said yeah you'll be my manager i said well you know, we've got two weeks before I leave. Can you let me train more in the store? I've only been driving. He goes, nah, you'll have plenty of time to learn when you get there. (laughs) Yeah, trial by fire. And so my wife came up one weekend and my assistant manager, now picture this, he's been working for the store since he was 14. He's now almost 18. And when I went in and I took over as manager, he actually literally walked up to me and said, look, just so you know, in the three and a half years I've been here, I've gone through 40 two managers and assistant what? managers. What? That's crazy. So, yeah, it's he's like, like you're more not, than one a month. Yeah, he's like, you're not going to be here long, so I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. What? Oh. And, and so he was undermining every chance he had, and, and I made a lot of mistakes. Like, you know, you have to order your food in advance to be able to know how to have enough to not run out. And mm-hmm. here we are in the middle of a Friday supper rush, and I'm running out of food, and we're making 100 or more pizzas an hour. And I'm frantically trying to phone other stores whenever I have a bra- uh, breath, trying to find food to go get. And my wife is there and I said, honey, I got to go pick up food. You know, you kind of help out wherever you can. And she's like, absolutely. So I leave and I'm picking up food while I get back. And my wife goes, we need to talk. I'm like, what's the matter? She goes, once it slows down, we need to go to the back office. We need to talk. And I'm like, okay. That's, you know, that's never a good idea. When your <laughs> wife tells you you need to talk, it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not a good thing. Yeah, well, and so she goes, here's what happened the moment you left. She said, Mark is now telling everybody what an idiot this guy is. He can't even order food. And I'm like, pardon me? She goes, yeah, right in front of me. He's just bad-mouthing you. She says, you need to fire him. And jokingly, I said, and who's going to be my assistant manager? You? And she looked at me. She goes, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Yeah, another reason, Christine, why I love my wife so much. You know, she she just, she's not um, afraid to step up to a challenge. And so we called him back and I said, Mark, here's what's happening. I can't handle, um, put up with this. So you're getting your two weeks notice. And he's like, you can't do that. And I said, call the franchisee. He did. And the franchisee said he did. So goodbye. And, you know, my wife became my assistant manager. And from there, it just, things got better. Because we know each other. Yeah. Right. Right. And now being that she worked right now, you were, did she work right underneath you then? Yeah. I was the manager and she was the assistant manager. Okay. Uh, so or one you. of them. Cause we had a couple assistant managers so that we could actually have a day off every once in a while together. But, but did that, did you find that kind of like a lot of like, uh, being that you were a couple, you guys were together and trying to be a boss and, 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 and boss to her. And was there any friction with that? Oh, absolutely. But we found our rhythm because she was great at scheduling. I sucked at that. And, you know, at night she would stay and do the in-store work and I would take over as the last delivery driver, mm-hmm. you know, and so that um, she, she'd be making the pizzas, I'd be delivering them, I'd be answering phones when I'm in, I help them make pizzas. And so it, we found our flow and we found a way of making it work. And, you know, man, from the moment we started managing, you know, to the end of our Domino's journey, it was like 11 years. And it just, we found a way to make it work. 
So did you stay as managers that entire time for 11 years? That seems like a pretty long time <laughs> to stay in that role. Or did you yeah. have any other opportunities? Yeah, a year and a half in, um, we're now qualified to be a franchisee. I don't know how much you guys know about Domino's, but you can't just buy a store. Oh, wait, you, wait, actually have, you can't just walk in and say, I got a briefcase full of money and drop nope. it on the front door? Nope, you can't. Not Well, not when I was a franchisee. Um, the way Domino's grew so big is Tom Monahan, the founder, you actually had to successfully manage a store for at least a year, meeting a lot of criteria. And then once you met the criteria, then you had the right to be a franchisee and they would waive the upfront franchise fee and to make it easier. And that's why 95% um, of the franchisees were actually started as drivers, just like I had in Domino's okay. Pizza. Yeah, because you had to earn your way up. And then not having a big upfront franchise fee, it was still about you know anywhere from $100,000 to $250,000 to buy or build a store. But at least you didn't have to have like a two hundred thousand dollar you know franchise fee right up, up right front. yeah as a so, driver where would you have that I mean I, I was a personally I was a pizza driver myself back in the day and I didn't make that much money in tips so I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well and that's it and so we here we were qualified but I was making four hundred dollars a week and she was making three hundred dollars a week so even back then that wasn't a lot of money and what year but, are we talking. <clears throat> 1996. Oh, no, that's no, okay. Actually, yeah. It helps give context, okay? Yeah, back then too. I, and I even went a little too far. Actually, 91 is when we took over as managers. 91. Okay. And so it was 93, 94 that we had the chance to buy the stores. And my wife's like, you know, instead of looking for another job because my franchisee wanted out, wanted to sell his, the two stores he owned, and she's like, we need to buy the stores. And I'm like, well, we can't afford it. And she said, well, let's find a way. And one of the things I look back, hindsight being 2020, is some of the greatest lessons I've ever learned has been from the mistakes that we've made. Because we started making a lot of mistakes, finding out how do you um, borrow money if you don't have money and if you're not making a lot. And in fact, like as an example, we went to a guy who's like, I promise, I've got investors. I can find you an investor that will pay, um, give you the loan for the stores. And my fee is $1,000 up front. The moment we paid them, all of a sudden it's like, sorry, no one wants to you know, lend you the money. Oh, yeah. And take the money and run, huh? Yeah. But looking back, though, in the four months, every time something went wrong, we looked at what worked, what didn't work, and we'd make an adjustment. And by the time it was four months, we were now able to talk to our bank. Because here in Canada, back then... You couldn't just go to a, a branch bank um, business manager. You had to know someone who knew someone who knew someone. And so we couldn't get to our branch um, business manager, but we had a great relationship with our the actual branch manager herself. And one day we're sitting down and we're 23. We're in her office and she asks us how it's going with buying the stores and we're defeated. We're like, we're just, it's not going well. Right. And she goes, she goes, have you talked to Grant? And we're like, no, we can't see him. Ooh, who's can't Grant? Get an appointment. <laughs> He, he's guy. the business, yeah. He's the business manager, <laughs> and uh, she says, "Oh, come with me." And Chris and Christine, I'll tell you one of the things for business: make sure you keep great relationships with your banks. Yes. Don't just be the client that they only hear from you if you have a problem. That's right. that's you know? me. I think I call it. <laughs> <laughs> what happened here? Yeah. Well, because literally the moment we said we couldn't get an appointment, she said, come with me. She stood up. She actually took us by the hands, walked us across the branch to his office, knocked on his door and said, Grant, this is Robert and Roxanne Riopel. They're amazing, hardworking kids that are trying to buy a Domino's pizza. Take care of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You don't get that very often. No, you don't. And because we had made so many mistakes, now that we had a chance to talk to him, we knew exactly what not to say and what to say. Oh, yeah. 
And so had we seen him four months earlier, we would have messed it up. Yeah. Plain and simple. But because we now knew what to say, we ended up, the bank gave us 100% financing. We were originally going for one store, but my franchisee had two for sale and they gave us 100% financing for both the stores. No way. Yeah. Two for the price of one? <laughs> well, no, it wasn't for the price of one. It was two for the price of two, but we still got 100% well, financing. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing. We recently bought this house here. The first thing you want to go to is go to the bank and say, hey, bank, can you give us the money? Are we qualified for this? And then you start to like, like you get the you get approved, and then you start shopping for houses. So you basically got approved for the for the loans for two of these things. That's something to celebrate about. Yeah, and and that's kind of looking back. That's what we've always done. Is we actually when we bought our first house, we bought it without a down payment, and we had three months to come up with a down payment. So while we were managing a store seven days a week, six nights a week, as soon as we'd close, we'd go to the local um, newspaper called the Calgary Sun at the time. And we'd load up 1,400 newspapers from 1 o'clock in the morning, and we'd deliver them to the, all the drop boxes till 8 o'clock in the morning, go home, get a couple hours sleep, and then go back to the store and do it all again. And in three months, we raised our down payment. So we've always kind of done things backwards. <laughs> we, well, if you, can we pull, if you can pull it off, because some people also try going to do things backwards, and it doesn't seem to work out for them. Yeah, but that's Very if true. they sometimes, – sometimes people will go backwards, but then also put shortcuts into it. And it sounds like yes. the two of you – Sometimes do things backwards, but a theme that I'm hearing is that you're willing to put the work in. And that's exactly it, Christine. That is like right on the button because, and here's the thing, you know, now that I travel around the world training people around mindset and success, the biggest thing I want people to understand is that success is not easy. It, it's it's simple. There's ways to get success, but you've got to put the work in. And too many people, they just expect it. There's an entitlement attitude. Oh, yeah. Like it should be handed to me, given to me. No, you got to work. Yeah, you hear, you hear that, millennials? We're talking to you. <laughs> Actually, you know, millennials <laughs> tend to be pretty hard workers. I'm just but what's saying. one below that? The Gen, Gen I, I, Z I'm or Gen sure. Y or Gen something? I don't know. There's something else. Yeah. But so <laughs> now I, I want to go back a little bit to if this was like a Marvel movie, your origin story. So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, getting into dominoes. But let's go even further back to that because work ethic tends to be something that's modeled for you or something that you get the opposite of when you're growing up. So what were that's your models when you were growing up? Did you have work ethic modeled to you? Yeah, both my mom and my dad, um, when we were kids, we never stayed in any one place because to support the family, they were always having to move us from town to town, place to place just to keep working and and taking jobs that they hated, but that's what they did to support the family. So I learned from them that, and, and one of the lessons my mom taught me, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, the moment you walk through the door of work, you leave everything, all your problems at the door, you be there to do the job you were there hired to do. Exactly. And so that's, I well, modeled why, why that. Why are you pointing at me, Christine? I wasn't pointing at anybody. <laughs> I'm just saying exactly. It's the way I was raised too. Yeah, and then my wife, um, youngest of five children raised by a single mother, and basically taught you don't rely on anybody, especially a man. And so she learned to be very, very independent. And if she there's something she wanted to go for, she went for it. Because the only way she could ever get something is if she actually put in the effort and the work to figure out a way to get it. Because there's no way her mom could afford it. And so both of our families, very poor families, and we, but that's the thing, able to get by. And when money was tight, we could make it work. And if money, extra money came in, her mom was very thrifty and still 
really counted and pinched pennies. Whereas my parents, anytime extra money came in, we splurged. And I took that programming on. So when we started making some money in our Domino's pizzas, we, you know, that keeping up with the Joneses, like, oh, look, uh, we have extra money. We need an extra car. Oh, oh we yeah. have a store in a lake vacation area. We need a boat. <laughs> and, and we yeah. started buying all the toys. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Is that something, yeah. Chris? Is he preaching to the choir right now? Oh, uh, yes. Amen <laughs> on that one, yes. Previous well, life, not current reality, but go ahead. A little bit. <laughs> well, and that was the thing, though, it's because we did that. That's why at the time we were franchisees for eight years, we're now making pretty good money. But because we're spending so much more, we're over $150,000 in personal debt, stressed out beyond belief and going down quickly because we're not handling our money well. But we have all the toys. But the funny thing is, like the boat. We had a boat, but we couldn't use it because our busy season was boating season. Right. So we're in the store. It's at looking pretty in the driveway. And that, right. You know, oh, yeah. Hey, you know what a boat stands for, right? Yeah. Break, break out another thousand. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, I, I, someone just taught me that a couple months ago, and I'm like, that was it. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> that's what I hear. Wow. Well, so you had that work ethic, but your spending habits weren't aligning with that. So it's like you worked really hard for the money and it's that work hard, play harder mentality versus yes. work hard, save hard, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So That's exactly have it. you broken out of that habit? And if so, what helped you? Yeah, well, we, we were frustrated with Domino's. We were going down in debt and we weren't enjoying it anymore. And our kind of mindset was, well, what else would we do? And it's like, well, we know franchises. Why don't we go and buy another franchise? But of course, we couldn't afford it because now we're even further in debt. But because we went to a franchise expo, two weeks after the expo, someone sent us a letter in the mail. And for the millennials, that's something that comes in an envelope into a mailbox, <laughs> right? not into your computer. Yep. Wow. So it's, not, and, um, it's not like an email. That's no, like, it's, well, not, it's like no. older than that. Whoa. Yeah, we actually had to open an envelope and pull a piece of what? paper. Yeah. And this amazing couple, we had visited their booth and they said, you know, thank you for visiting our booth. And as a gift, here's two tickets to a three-hour evening that will change your life. And the and it, each ticket was worth $39. And thank goodness they were because the only reason we showed up is because our minds would not let us waste $39 tickets. I hear you. No, I hear you. Yeah. It was, and, it was and 10 that, bucks I've been there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and, and we walked in and by the end of the evening, we're running to the back and we're paying $600 to go to a three-day weekend expanded version of it. And that was going to, that was in March of 2001. And then June of 2001 is when the three-day uh, training was. And the only reason we showed up there was to get our money back because we went through buyer's remorse afterwards. And we're like, we can't afford 600 bucks. We need to get our money back. And they, you know, I was ready for a fight. I was ready for them to say, you can't have it. And they knew what was going on in our heads. And they said, look, just come in for the first part. We'll figure out how to get you a refund. And then we'll touch base with you at, at the break. And by the time they came to find us at the break, and they're like, hey, let's talk about your refund. And we're like, no, what do you mean a refund? We're having too much fun. Get out of here. <laughs> no way. And, and that three days changed our life because we learned why we're in debt. But more importantly, we learned to take ownership of our debt and quit blaming other people because we were good at that oh they lost our investment or because of them i did this and i lost the money and the moment we started taking ownership is when our life changed we left the three days with a whole new mindset and a set of actions we were going to take and next thing we, just by putting it into practice we were able to go from being over one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt to actually retired completely financially free 
nine months later at the age of 32. That is amazing. And the point you were saying about uh, a lot of people will blame other people for their mm-hmm. own mistakes. And do you, do you come across a lot of that with your teachings? A lot of people will kind of say like, well, it wasn't, wasn't my fault I got fired. It was uh, XYZ or, or whatever it could be. Or, or so-and-so, they're rich because the thing I always just always say is like <laughs> they're rich because they've got rich parents. You know, like that's the thing I would, because I was also on the other side of it where I would see other people that had a lot of money and toys and things. And I'd be very jealous and very kind of. Used to be. Okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) A little envious, I would say. And I would say, well, they're they're, they're like who they are because they've got a rich parents or or whatever, or inheritance, things like that. They didn't actually earn it. Do you come across that a lot in your travels? I do. And Chris, you and I must be related in some way because, yeah, that's kind of describes how I, I used to really look at it. And yes, we see that a lot. And so um, I, I teach people about, you can identify someone who's in a victim role because that's the people that end up either blaming others uh, that they're not where they should be because of, or they justify, hey, they were in a rich family, or they do nothing but complain. And if your audience gets one thing out of this um, conversation, is that complaining is the absolute worst thing you could do for your health and your wealth. Absolute wait, worst. Wait, say it again, Christine, to give me the stink eye over there. I am. I'm, I'm asking oh. him to listen very hard to this. Yeah. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah. Complaining is the absolute worst thing you can do for your health and your wealth. I'm a big believer in law of attraction. And when you're complaining, you're actually attracting crap into your life because yes. what you focus on expands. So if you're complaining, you're going to just get more crap. Exactly. And, and you become like a big Thank magnet. you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Preaching to the choir. Right Hallelujah. Robert. Hallelujah. No, but I, I believe in that so much. And so yeah. like, how did that come into play when you talked about, I mean, you, you, I think that we need to give a little bit more airspace to this whole got out of debt and retired within a nine month period of time. Like what did that actually look like for you and your wife? Cause I know that it didn't just all of a sudden happen and magically yeah. you wished <laughs> you did, it to be did, out of yeah. debt and it happened. Yeah. I had my Harry Potter wand and went ding. No. Where did um, you get one of those by the way? Does Amazon have that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, it, what, we had to make some hard decisions. One of the things that we learned was that, our expenses, and this is a kind of, if you look at what the definition of financial freedom is, is when you have your expenses, you have enough what's called passive income. In other words, money or business working that you don't have to work at, it's working for you. When you have enough passive income that it covers your expenses, your monthly expenses, now you're financially free because even if you don't work, you have enough money coming in to cover those expenses. And the main reason we were way out of whack is we had never heard of passive income. So we had none. And because we were trying to keep up with the Joneses, we had a ton of expenses. So the first thing that we did, and our, you know, my teacher and our mentor said to us, he said, if you want to create wealth, you've got to look at simplifying your life. And so the first thing Roxanne and I did is we sat down, we said, okay, what don't we need right now that's costing us monthly to own it? And it's nice to have, but we don't need it. And of course, the boat was the first thing that was an easy answer. Oh, not the boat, not, not the USS no. Captain uh, sail, 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 sail. <laughs> <laughs> no, sink us down the river. I mean, sail us down the river. Well, and here's the thing, Chris, think about this, is today, because of the financial position I'm in, because we made the tough decisions then, today my wife and I could buy any boat pretty much we want. But for how much we actually use one 
it's actually cheaper for us to go rent the boat we need in the moment. That's funny you say the that. Style boat. Yeah, it's funny because we went traveling over uh, the summer, went to Bass Lake up here, and we rented one of those big um, pontoon boats. Right, pontoon, pontoon boat. Yeah. And for the yep. price to rent that was literally, I mean, I mean, obviously a lot cheaper than buying one. But if we bought a boat, even with a smaller boat, say like a smaller, I don't know, ski boat or something, we need a place to store it. We need a trailer to haul it. We need a bigger vehicle to haul it and put insurance on it and everything else too, just to use mm-hmm. it but once what, a year. But what's funny is we came home from that trip and Chris was like, that's so much fun. We should get a boat. And my response to him was, no, <laughs> we might enjoy it once every other year and right. we can go and we can rent a different kind every time. And right. a brand new one. Yes. So you're not having to worry about the... I've now got a boat that's eight years old i've used five times exactly and he was yeah. like oh okay that makes sense because I, I used to be in the same boat i used to go to the desert a lot out here we have atvs you guys play have snowmobiles but oh hello i've got a atv in my garage right beside me love back road um atv okay right. okay well there you go yeah so i had a few of those i go out the desert all the time you know and i owned a few of them but i i guess you can rent them out there too i didn't think about that but but i used yeah, to always and, have and, them it's about taking a look at what you need, want versus what you need. And so as an example, when my wife and I bought this property that we own now, uh, my wife negotiated in the ATV with it because it is also our snowplow in the winter. And we have a 200 foot by 60 foot wide in some places driveway. So I'm not going to go out and hand shovel that. So right. a quad is I'm not going to rent one every time I want to clear snow. I live in Canada. Hello, we get a lot of snow. So snow. So, that, that pays for itself by owning it. But the boat, right. yeah, we very seldom ever use a boat, even though we love boating. We right. just don't have the time. So yeah. why own a boat? Right. Unless you're going to use it all. Unless it's part of, unless you live like on an island, like why else yep. do you need a boat? Really? <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who lives in Florida and he fishes all the time. So it makes sense for him to own his boat. Right. So you had to make some of those hard decisions about simplifying your life. But beyond the boat... What other types of things did you have to pare down in? Like, did you find yourself selling everything off? Because I think that's a common misconception is that people are like, if you have to get out of debt that fast, did you like become homeless to do it? No. (laughs) No. One of the things that we did is we actually had two vehicles, but we were always working together. So we're like, well, let's sell one of the vehicles and get rid of the expenses. And so we really, we did take kind of an extreme hard look at it and probably did more than most people would. But we knew we didn't want the stress anymore. And we were willing to, yeah, we were willing to make that journey and it paid off for us. And so that's, you know, it it was simple things like, well, yeah. And again, it's that want versus need. Well, I really want this. Yeah, but do we need it? Right. Right. And nowadays, yeah, nowadays, because we've, and here's what I want your kind of audience to understand too. When you look at the equation I just gave you, it's when your passive income is greater than your expenses. I, people think when I say I went financially free at the age of 32, they're like, how did you get out of debt and become a millionaire? I'm like, I didn't. I had enough passive income because we started learning about that as well, where I didn't have to work. I still had debt, but we had enough money coming in to pay for it. And what that gave us is it gave us time freedom because all of a sudden we went from working 60, 70, 80 hours a week each earning a living to having that extra 60, 70, 80 hours a week to do other things. And I don't know about you, Chris and Christine, but if I was a magic genie, I am aerodynamic, so I do have that look. And if I was to sit there and go, hey, I'm going to give you an extra 30 hours a week to do whatever you want with. Can you think of things that you could use that time for? Oh, oh yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. I definitely can. I, 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 <laughs> Other than podcasting, Chris. Oh, oh excuse me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to- I totally would because I, I mean, I used to work a lot. I used to, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, 
truck driver that delivers gasoline um, locally here in town. And I used to work overtime five, six days a week, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 12 hours sh- a shift every single mm-hmm. night um, working. And I cut that back since I married Christine. I realized, what am I doing working all the extra hours for when I'd rather be home with her? So I cut back a day. Now I'm only working four days a week. And um, I love it. I love having the time off. And I was asking a guy, because I'm now a trainer. So I was training a new employee that came from a really bad schedule at another company. Actually, he still has a really bad schedule at our company, but uh, he has to work his way up the ranks. <laughs> but uh, the point is this. I asked him, I said, well, have a scenario. If you could make $5 more an hour, um, but have like a, a, the but best, I mean, $5 more an hour, but have like a really bad schedule. Like really, think of the worst schedule there is, holidays, weekends, nights, the worst of the worst, or $5 less an hour, but have the best schedule you can possibly think of, which one would you pick? And surprisingly, he chose the worst schedule with the more money. But uh, I don't know that's the way people think these days. A lot do because they think that more money is going to fix their life. And that's what I've really come to realize. And, you know, money is a tool and it'll actually just make you more of the person you already are. So if you're already a workaholic, more money is going to make you want to work harder and more. And so it's about how do you find that balance in your life? And, And we learned this because when we freed up all this time, we made a commitment going back to law of attraction, Christine, of we're going to take 10 of those hours we just freed up, 10 hours a week, and we're going to focus on creating wealth. And all of a sudden, the moment we um, focus on creating wealth and had the time and energy to do it because we weren't stressed out, all of a sudden, the wealth creation became so easy in our life. And so what I love to teach people is this. Don't try and go to become a millionaire first. Get yourself financially free first to free up the time and energy to now go for wealth if that's what you want, because at least you have the time. But most people, their answer is have a second job, third job, and wonder why they get burnt out and why they just seem to go backwards or get into bad habits because now they're, they need something to supplement that they're working so hard. And that's where addictions really come in as well. So it's how do you create a bit more of a balance in your life? And, and so that's what I love to teach people. And, and that's why I do that around the world now. That's awesome. So when you were talking about passive income, what did that end up looking like for you and your wife? Well, originally, we learned about two things on the internet that haven't been around for years that had a a kind of a residual income and a stock portion to it. And so we ended up finding two passive incomes online that got us financially free. And they didn't, we didn't know back then how to make them permanent. So they didn't last long, but they lasted long enough for us to get more passive incomes. And today I have businesses that are systemized that work, um, we own or, or are part owners and we get a, a income from them. I love being uh, the bank for real estate. So I love second mortgages where instead of someone going to the bank and saying, hey, I want to borrow money, uh, a second mortgage is when they have some equity in the house and they want to maybe do an addition or pay off some bills. That's where I get to become the bank because you get paid a higher interest rate. Oh, yeah. And it's always secured by the property still. Because if they do foreclose, the bank will usually come to the second mortgager and say, do you want it first? And we always make sure there's a strong enough position, A, that it won't happen because we do our due diligence to make sure we're there to support the people to do well. We don't want to ever take advantage of people. So I, my goal is to never have to take a property over and just make it a win-win-win situation where they get the money they need, I'm getting a good interest rate, and my money's working hard for me. And the bank's happy because they're not worried either. So there's a number of different passive incomes that I do today. 
That's awesome. Now, I was at one point in multi-level marketing and what? Yeah, um with a skincare company, Oh, that think, one. Okay. But I think that <laughs> one of the big things that you've hit on is like you have to find some joy in the work because I found that I was engaged in a residual income structure just for that goal of trying to make more money versus actually doing mm-hmm. something that I was passionate about. And so how was it that you landed on something that you actually loved or did you figure out how to love it along the way? A little bit of both and a lot of trial and error, you know, plain and simple. Today, I'm a big believer because um, I, I, there's two types of businesses I love, especially for someone new in business. One is um, franchises and the other one is network marketing. And the reason is that they both have systems. And if you learn the system, follow the system, in a Domino's Pizza, when we sold our last store, the average store cost $250,000 to buy or build. And every store you had, you were basically buying yourself another $60,000 a year job until you got up to at least five stores. That's kind of where the sweet spot was. But with network marketing, for a few hundred, if you treat it like a million dollar business, a few hundred or a couple thousand dollar investment, you can actually use the system and do very, very well. But the number one rule for me is... And this is why so you know network marketing gets such a bad name is people go for it for the money. Look at all the money I'm going to make, but right. they don't believe in the product. And so I will never, ever, ever do any kind of product as a trainer or in any business. I will never sell a product I do not believe in a hundred percent because that'll come across and the audience will get it. The you know who you're talking to will get it. It'll be like yeah, something's wrong here. You know they right. say they like this product, but they'll sense it. And, you know, and, and, and I've done over now as a trainer, as an example, I've done over a hundred million dollars in sales from the stage around the world. And because I believe in the programs, why they're the programs that changed my life. And so I have a hundred percent conviction behind them of, I know what these will do for you. And so even if you have doubt, you know, and, and I, that's when I love my students come up and they go, you know what, I didn't really want to do it, but you convinced me and it's, man, am I so glad I did this course. Here's how it changed my life. Right. And that can be such a great sense of joy. Oh, it is. I mean, I mean, of course, the cash is always fun too, but I'm saying like the, <laughs> the joy of helping other people it really it does go a long way. I know. Yeah, well, and there's a, there's a universal principle that says this, Chris. It says you will be paid in direct proportion to the value you give. And so when you're out to give value and really help people, you will be rewarded financially in ways you can never dream of. But most people, because they're trying to just make the money, they're forgetting to give the value first. Absolutely. I would agree with that. And you know, what's really interesting is after that experience with the network marketing, multi-level marketing with the product that it was good, but it wasn't something I was super passionate about. Um, I finished my doctorate in May and then Chris encouraged me to find what brings me joy because there was a lot of pressure in my uh, full-time industry to seek a promotion that would require a lot more time and energy with not as much compensation. Yeah, who, for, who really wants that? You know what right. I'm saying? But I mean, it yeah. was you know more responsibility and definitely it's a calling, the type of work that I do in education. But I felt this pressure to like pursue this additional promotion. And Chris was like, well, why don't you just like you don't have to go for that. You make plenty of money. We're paying all of our bills. We're very comfortable. Like find something that that's fun to you. And so I did start my own business just several months ago. And it makes a huge difference when you're passionate about it. (laughs) And you're passionate about the services that you're offering. 
how that spreads like wildfire. And, you know, it's something, it was unanticipated. I started it with, you know, I, I am a wedding and event planner and floral designer on the side. And so I started off with one or two weddings, but then people love you. They love your work. Mm-hmm. And then they spread word through social media. And before you know it, you're in this very healthy business that's now thriving. And and it makes a huge difference when you commit that work ethic and that passion with a product that you're really proud of. Oh, Yeah. And and that's one of the favorite things I um, love to teach around people around the world is how because people go well Robert I I I'm good at this you know when I meet people I'll say you know I'll ask them what do you do for a living and they'll tell me and then my second question is usually do you enjoy it right and it's amazing how many people say no so then my third question is well then why do you do it and the two most common answers I I get are I'm good at it or I make a lot of money or and yeah, let both me be clear. I would think I think both yeah, those yeah. Are, you know and those are the wrong reasons to do it. Those are the wrong reasons because now if you're working at something you hate, you're waking up every morning dreading the day. That's not living. And so when I help people find what their true passion is and how to really tap into it and then learn how to make money doing what they love, that's when they start living. And and here's a great equation that a mentor taught me a few years ago. He said, Robert, especially when people are in a job where that maybe they're not liking it at the moment, sometimes you do what you need to do to get by. Just don't make it that temporary means to an end end up being permanent, right? And he said, here's the way I live life. He says, here's how I got success. He says, I live by the motto that from nine to five, so whatever your nine to five job is today, because schedules are all over the place, from nine to five, I'm earning a living. But then from five to nine, that's when I create my life. So Christina, as an example, yes. it's that in that five to nine, that's where you're now doing your wedding planning, your floral arranging, doing what you're passionate about. And you do this, and in this, it takes it takes ethic. It takes um, being able to sit there and go, oh, I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to do it exactly. because my life is worthwhile. Because all of a sudden you do this and you start part-time, and at the point where you're all of a sudden you're part-time, what you're loving doing, when it starts making enough money that it can replace your full-time um, wage and income, then you can make the permanent switch to really go full on doing what you love to do. That's if I want to, because I do love my day job too. What? Oh, I do. So you it's now like, have choice. now I have choice. Or I just get to enjoy the fact that my life is filled with work that I really enjoy and I feel mm-hmm. adds value to the world because um, I didn't have to pursue that other big promotion because my husband, my partner was encouraging me to find something that also brings me joy. But now it's like my life is filled with, but now my life is filled with work that I find fulfilling. And I wanted to have Christine home more around the house. That was the (laughs) truth because if she took the other job, she'd be gone a lot. It wasn't one job you're going to take like another country or something like that. (laughs) I was offered a job in another country, but we would have all had to move and that was a (laughs) no-go. So, but uh, I love having her here at the house more. Yeah. But Robert, one of the things I wanted to float back to something that you said, because I think Mm -hmm. that it would hit home with a lot of our listeners. So if they find themselves in a job that they're good at and they make good money at, but they're not in love with, how do they get past that fear to actually think about doing something different? Because there's a certain amount of comfort that comes with financial stability. <laughs> yeah, that, and there's this difference between financial stability and financial freedom. And so yeah, for that person that finds themselves financially stable but completely unfulfilled, how do you coach them through that? 
Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things is it comes to fear or overwhelm. And the reason those both come up is because a person, say they're, they're where they are in their job and they're going, but I'd like to have the life, you know, Chris is looking at all the other people, the good stuff that they have, and he's going, I want that too. And the moment they look at, compare themselves to someone else, or I want something greater, their mind goes from being in the present to 30,000 steps ahead of themselves. And they're like, now all of a sudden it's the what if scenarios start coming in. But what if this happens? What if I go for it and it doesn't work? What if we lose everything? What if we go bankrupt? What if, you know, it doesn't work out in the amount of time? And all of a sudden that overwhelm and that fear comes in because it, and it becomes very debilitating. So what I, I recommend to people is take a deep breath in, come back to being present. And one, a, a quote I love, it says, one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. Ooh, look at that. And That's good. So Say that of, one more time for us, Robert. Yeah. One step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. So what you do is you take that deep breath, you come back to present because that's the only place that fear does not exist is in the present moment. And you say, okay, if that's where I want to go, what's one step I could take right now? And then take that step. And then you celebrate that success. You know, in, in my book, that's why step number four is celebrate because people, they'll take a step and then they beat themselves up, even though they did something good and they went in the direction they want. So you celebrate your success and then you take a deep breath, check in with yourself. What's one more step? And then that's why success does come one step at a time, because if you keep present and you just take one more step, one more step, you don't feel the overwhelm of trying to figure it all out. Because what's going to happen is it's when you're in the game that you start to see what plays you need to make. But if you're trying to figure out every move of the game before you even um, threw the first ball out, you're, you're, you're not going to win. You're going to just right. So you're trying to think of what the scoreboard's going to look like at the end of the game, but you're at the beginning mm -hmm. of the game. Yeah. Think football. Do you think a, an NFL team comes on the, um, onto the field with every single play already planned out for the whole, four, um, the whole game? No, no, they got the playbook for that, right? Yeah, they have one or two to start off with. Now, depending on where the ball is, who's got the ball, what the other team's doing, that's when they make the adjustments. That's the same with life. Right. So how do you help somebody switch that thinking, though? So it's easy to tell them, be present, stay grounded, take a breath. But for the permanent catastrophizer that's commonly mm -hmm. living in the world of the chicken little, the sky is falling. How do you yep. help them just stop that thinking? And because it's a learned pattern and sometimes it's a really it hard is. cycle to break. And it's ingrained. This is why how personal development changed my life. I do a lot of introspecting now. And I used to be one of the biggest doubting Mustafas out there. <laughs> it's like, if something it wasn't in my realm of knowledge, it's like, no, it can't be real. That's not right. And so like, why not? Well, I don't know. It just isn't. And so the first thing is being willing to be vulnerable enough to say, I want to learn something new. And then the people you surround yourself with. I used to say, you know, it's amazing to surround yourself with like-minded people. But look, even last year in the midst of COVID, one of my mentors taught me a paradigm shifting, um, you know, <laughs> he, he did a whole paradigm shift for me. He said, Robert, if you're in a group of complainers and you're like-minded, you're going to be a complainer. He says, oh, you don't want to surround yourself with like-minded people. You want to so surround yourself with growth-minded people. Yep. Right, and the difference right. is a growth-minded person, when you fall, when you're having a hard time, they're going to be there to pick you up, brush you off, give you that pat on the back. When you're doing well, they're going to be your greatest cheerleaders saying, good job, keep going. But the most important role that they're going to have is they're going to be the ones that are willing to have those tough conversations with you 
like maybe you need a kick in the ass because you're playing a small game or you're being a jerk and they're the ones willing to stand up and say, hey, you're being a jerk right now. You need to make an adjustment. You're not, you know, the people are hating you because of the way you're acting. It's not them, it's you. So those are the people you have to be willing to have in your life. You don't just want the, hey, you're always great. No, you want the people that are willing to tell you like it is. Right, no more yes people in your in your circle, your crew. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's really hard because sometimes having the yes people around is like a comfort or a security blanket. It totally is. Yeah. I, I, oh, and, and it leads to the ego. Absolutely. I, I, I will be the first to admit, I would not be talking to the two of you today if it wasn't for my wife. Because left to my own des- devices, I would be in a job comfortable, but miserable because that's where I would be. And she's not willing to let me play a smaller game than I'm capable of. So especially when it comes to kicking me in the ass, she's had to do that plenty of times to say, look, you're greater than this. Why are you you know, not showing your greatness? Because I was taught to, to be shy, to not, um, it's bragging if you try to say what you're good at. And that, I was taught to hold my self-esteem down. And she's like, no, we need to hold it up for the world to see. But what if I make a mistake? Then we correct and you do it again. Exactly. And that's exactly. a gift we give each other now. That's a beautiful gift to give. Is I that love per- that gift. Can I get that on Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll send you a pair of size 12 boots for him, Christine, <laughs> that, you, that you get to wear to give them on Valentine's Day. <laughs> now, you've talked a lot, Robert, about your experiences with helping others. But for our listeners, especially as we've come through a really hard couple of years as, mm-hmm. uh, I was going to say as a nation, but I mean, internationally, living through COVID and so many people facing setbacks. I feel like personal development is something that so many people are seeking out right now as they're figuring out the what's next in their life. So where can our listeners find out more about you and your services? And um, do you have a podcast or anything? Yeah. Well, uh, my assistant tells me I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. And so I, you can definitely find me online. Um, I do understand that stuff a little bit. I got my Facebook going, but she's now, you know, thank goodness there's people to help me. <laughs> she's got me going on LinkedIn and Instagram. And if you put my name in, you'll be able to find me. But you know what I would love to do, because the two of you were so gracious to have me on your podcast. You know, I, in 2017, I, I released my first book called Success Left a Clue. And it's, it's my quirkiness in a book. And what I would love to do is because your listeners took their valuable time to be here and listen, and I believe your time is one of the greatest commodities you have, as a gift from us to your listeners, if they just simply go to robertriopel.com, my name, that's it, just R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com, they're actually going to be able to download the entire digital version of my book as our gift to them oh, for taking the time to listen. I love but that. I, I will tell you there's a caveat with it, though. Okay. There is a caveat. I did not write the book for someone to read it, put it on the shelf, and make it shelf help. That's not why I wrote it. <laughs> Step. Oh, good. You got my joke. Yeah, Christine. shelf Thank help. So I like that. Yeah. Well, Chris, she's, I'm pointing to my shelf behind me. <laughs> oh, yeah, my uh, but you don't so, get it. Shelf help versus self help. Oh, I get it now. So step number three in the book is you have to take action because it's six steps on how to create a life of your dreams. And step number three is take action. So I wrote the book as a workbook, meaning there's action steps all the way through. And I'll actually say in the book, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now, go back, complete that action first before you read any more. 
because I know people are creatures of habit. And I'm going to say this, if they go and they download the book and they read it and they do the action steps, they will see that they're able to design a life of that they are floored and, and they'll be like, wow, I can do this. Yes, you can. I'm living proof. <laughs> I'm, there's a reason I wrote the book because I made a lot of mistakes. Well, that's amazing to be able to give people the gift of learning from your mistakes instead of just keeping them to yourselves. That's um, powerful because I know that whenever I'm looking at how to make changes in my own life, I could always fail forward on my own. But if there's somebody that can help me sidestep a couple of mistakes and help Mm -hmm. expedite my journey, then I appreciate that so much. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes a big, big difference. Absolutely. And so listeners, thank you so much for tuning in with us today to listen to Robert's fantastic story. Remember to visit him at robertriopel.com, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com. I will put a link to it in the show notes. Absolutely. And get your copy of his book and then connect with him and all of the great things that are happening. And hopefully we're going to hear some great news soon about you launching some trainings at your new facility, right? Well, because in Alberta, we're in our fourth wave of um, medical emergency lockdown crisis. I'm not going to be able to have live people here. So one of the things I'm doing is I'm adjusting and I'm actually this next month, I'm turning it into a super Zoom room because I do trainings all over the world from my office now where I can have, so I'll have like multiple screens, multiple cameras where I can see 400, 500 students at a time on my screens and really have fun and interact with them. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, I think maybe do maybe a hologram version of you <laughs> uh, coming up next. <laughs> well, that might just scare too many people, Chris. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying. Thinking outside the box, literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to hearing about more fantastic things that are happening in your world. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. Ooh, ooh. Oh, wow. Robert was so awesome to come on the show today. You know, he flew all the way down here and we, we put him up here in the K2 studios. Did you believe that? <laughs> You're such a goofball. No, but it was a fantastic interview. And I loved reflecting on his words and, you know, his concept of financial freedom. And, it, you know, I thought it was totally different. I thought it was like you had to be able to you know, have a full-time job. And then like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought financial freedom was. I think it was like have everything paid off and zero debt and all of that stuff to be considered financially free. But I see what he's saying that it's something different. So I think technically you're financially free, right? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe. I mean, I, well, I, you know, I think it is too, is that like I was saying earlier is that, you know, I don't have to work all this extra time, be a slave to the, the dollar, you know, where, right. you, where you're working 60, 70 hours a week. Because I used to do that. I used to have to work like 60 or 70 hours every week just to pay the bills and just to stay, just to stay at even keel, not to even have any extra. That's just a, you know, take care of everything. Right. But and, you're in a different place now. Exactly. We both are. Right. We both are. And together, we realize that having time together is more important than having all this extra money to pay for, pay for debt. Because if you're just working, you're just going around the, we call the rat race. We're just going around uh-huh. in a circle. A you hamster know. wheel. Uh-huh. Yeah. You just keep going around and around, just uh, working and paying, working and paying. Yeah. I. It's so exhausting. And you know, I'm thankful that we've been able to, for the most part, get off the hamster wheel. And I think that a lot of that has to do with sound financial decisions, but also 
me having my side business helps bring in an additional stream of income that we didn't have before. And that's very exciting. It's all very, very exciting. Hey, speaking of exciting things, yeah. you know, I know I mentioned earlier that we do have our new Patreon account, oh, uh, yeah, Patreon page. And so uh, one of the levels that you can subscribe to is the uh, second tier level. We're going to do exclusive content. And one of the exclusive content things that I had just thought of just today, just now, oh, okay, is the brand new Netflix and chill with Chris and Christine. Oh my gosh, that sounds really inappropriate. Where like, is your mind going? No, it's what people call Netflix and chill. Like when you say you can subscribe and it's Netflix and chill, it makes them think of it's like an, what is it called? OnlyFans page. <laughs> well, it's kind of is. No, it's not. We are G rated. So the way Netflix, PG. okay, the way Netflix and chill is going to work is that we are going to watch a show or movie or something show on Netflix and we are going to. Uh, play it and riff on the audio we're going to record our audio riffing on the show and when you get a copy of it you're going to be able to play it and play netflix at the same time and you'll be able to hear us ranting on the show and you can watch netflix at the same time we're watching netflix in in a way so it's like a live critique slash slapstick comedy kind of show yeah Right. But now, all audio or are we doing video too? No, it's going to be audio only. Okay, thank only. you because so, I don't like to like cute on podcast days. Okay, of course. <laughs> you look great, by the way. Oh, thanks. So what we're going to do is you subscribe to patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. You subscribe over there under the exclusive content. We're going to email you a private track that only you're going to have of audio. And when we tell you on the on the track, we'll say push play at a certain time. Mm-hmm. You push play on the audio and watch Netflix. I mean, you push play on the Netflix while you have the audio going and then we'll be all synced up together so that you'll hear us. So it'll feel like we're watching TV together. Exactly. That's Nef- so fun. Netflix and chill with Aww, Chris and Christine. So if you're missing us or missing our voices between our regularly scheduled podcast, you can subscribe to Patreon and you'll get some of this exclusive content and I think that we're going to have some exclusive stories and videos coming in the future too, right? Absolutely. This new MacBook Pro I just bought, it powers, it's powered by the great M1 chip. Oh gosh, the M1 chip. It sounds like the Wizard of Oz. It is. It pretty <laughs> much is. So the M1 chip is this new special processor that Apple came up with that like powers new Mac and new iMac and all that fun stuff. And it's very powerful for video editing and audio editing and all that fancy stuff. So... It's going to be make making movies and videos and things a breeze so I can make special videos and clips for our Patreon subscribers. Gosh, I am so glad that you bought yourself this new computer because I was really, honestly, I was really tired of listening to you complain about the old one. <laughs> it was like every single day. I was like, this one, it's a dinosaur. I hate it. And I'm like, buy a new one. But I'm so attached to it. it I was very attached to it. it. I'm very it's attached. like the old house. You were like so attached to it. Well, one leak was too many leaks as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the, after the fifth or seventh leak, I'm like, <laughs> no, we got to go. Joking. We got to go. Joking. This leaks more. It had more leaks than Titanic. No, <laughs> it was not that bad. But, you know, we appreciate you all listening today. Thank you for tuning in with us. And anything else you want to say, Chris? Well, thank you, Robert, for showing up on the show today. That was great, too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And we will see you all back here next week. <laughs>